Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. Hello, everyone. It is fantastic to be back, and uh, this is now the third season of the podcast, uh, three years running. Uh, and this season, I think, might be longer than the others. Um, I uh, figured that I would wait until I had uh, enough useful things to say, rather than just running an endless podcast and uh, running out of good material. Um, but I have to confess, I've left this a little bit longer than I intended. Uh, things got a bit busy, um, and uh, and this kind of fell by the wayside. And I've been collecting ideas now over the last year, and um, and yeah, they're kind of spilling over into lots and lots of episodes. So I've got at least twenty four episodes kind of outlined. But uh, I'm just going to go with the flow and uh, record these week on week. And um, uh, and I'm kind of guessing that there may be even more material than that that will emerge uh, over the, the next few weeks and months. So uh, who knows? Uh, we could be in for a long haul here. Um, and uh, the, the key thing is, this is about making sure that this is really useful stuff. So I'm going to be talking about two things primarily in this season. Uh, as with the last season, I want to make sure that we still do some stuff on productivity, but this is going to be my kind of deep take on productivity, which is about uh, being happier with what you produce um, uh, and being more efficient so that you can actually get more time off. And as a result of getting some better work-life balance, enjoying your work more and actually being much more productive in a deeper sense than you might be at the moment. So we'll uh, be diving into that. Um, and that's based uh, on my recent book, The Productive Researcher. Uh, as with uh, my, my last two books, I've been taking it out on the road and, uh, and training uh, across uh, lots of very different universities. And, uh, uh, and I'll be drawing on my experience working one-to-one -one with people that I'm mentoring uh, around this book uh, and one-to-many in the workshops that I'm running. Uh, lots of difficult, challenging questions that are helping me to move forward in my thinking. And I'll be sharing those insights with you. The second area that we're, of course, going to be focusing on is research impact. Uh, and as you are probably aware, I have recently launched the second edition of the Research Impact Handbook, and uh, uh, available on Amazon, of course, uh, unless you're listening in Australia, uh, where we're unable to sell for some complicated tax-based reasons, uh, in which case uh, you can email my uh, my PA, Maddie, on pa at fasttrackimpact.com. Um, so uh, I'm going to be sharing with you some of my latest insights on research impact. Uh, some of this will be from the, the second edition. But again, based on what I'm learning as I'm taking the second edition out on the road uh, and training researchers live with this book and getting res getting responses, getting questions, uh, having to adapt. Um, and so the latest insights that I'm getting from this will be to you. Uh, I'm also going to uh, be telling you about some of the latest research. I'm writing um, a number of papers uh, on uh, on research impact at the moment, uh, doing uh, original research on this, uh, some of these focusing on motivations, unintended consequences, uh, some of this around uh, evidencing impact, lots of other things. And uh, as I record this season, uh, I will be writing these and, uh, and learning with my co-authors and sharing those insights as we go as well.
The second uh, season was recorded kind of 50 50 um, uh, interviews out on the road and in the studio. And uh, I decided this time that actually the whole thing of going into the studio to record the podcast, it was a bit of a, a logistical challenge, given the way that my life is set up. Uh, and so my producer, Dan Lyth, has uh, set me up with a uh, professional studio in my office. Um, so I'm hoping this is going to sound uh, almost as good as it sounded in the studio. And uh, Dan Lyth will be uh, producing each of these episodes before it goes out to make sure it still sounds uh, very nice. So so thanks, Dan. Today's podcast episode is going to start with the basics. Uh, now, right at the beginning of the first season, I discussed with you what I perceived to be impact at that point. Um, and in the intervening two years, my understandings of what impact really is have developed. Uh, they've become more nuanced, um, more, uh, I guess I'm, I'm understanding the issues around impact much more deeply now. But at the same time, I've been getting more and more crystal clear about what this is in its simplest terms. And I want to share with you um, a couple of definitions that I've developed, which I've published in the second edition of my handbook, uh, and uh, a typology, 10 different types of impact that, in theory, uh, are out there that you can look for, that you can pursue, that you can evaluate. Uh, and for me, this is really powerful stuff. It's really important because, first of all, I believe that if we are clear in our thinking about what impact is, then we can be clear in the plans that we make and the work that we do. And that means we can be efficient as well and not waste time. Uh, but then when I look at the typology, I think this is also really important because I think we can often get quite blinkered and we're focusing so much on that one type of impact that we're pursuing that we forget that actually there may be other benefits that we're not aware of uh, or other unintended negative consequences. And we need to take a much fuller, broader, holistic approach to this if we want to uh, really understand the full breadth, depth, reach of the benefits that might arise from our research. So let's start with, uh, with definitions. And I'm going to give you my simplest and most powerful definition for what research impact is. And it's a single word. Now, for me, I, I actually do feel quite embarrassed about this because uh, it's taken me, I don't know, two years. Um, it was about two years since I published the, the first edition of the book, and I've been training with this. I've trained over 4,000 researchers, 55 different countries. I mean, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time, and it's taken me all of this time to come up with such a simple definition. Uh, I actually managed to uh, stop the second edition going to press and I held it back and I said, look, guys, I need to just integrate this this one sentence into the book because this is so important. And and it, it has been that recent that I've got this level of clarity. Uh, and it came through training based on the book. So I was already training based on the second edition, although it wasn't actually out yet. Uh, and I, I was training increasingly. I started using this word. And whenever I used this word, I would see these light bulb moments going on in people's heads and displayed by their faces where, ah, okay, so actually it's as simple as that. And I think that as academics, 
we're good at making things complicated, aren't we, guys? <laughs> and, um, and we've kind of done this with, with impact. And so there's mass confusion out there. What actually is this thing called impact? Um, is it positive? Is it negative? Is it this? Is it that? Uh, and actually, it is really simple. My one word definition of impact is simply benefit. And even more powerful than that, if I actually turn that word into a question, who benefits, then this for me begins to unlock a whole load of stuff. So just do a find and replace in your mind and find the word impact and now just replace it with the word benefit. And what I'm finding when I'm working with researchers with this word is that the, it's like the scales fall off their eyes and they look at their research and their pathway to impact on all the engagement work that they're doing and instantly you can see whether or not it is yet an impact. So all of that engagement work that I've been doing, all of the, the media, the publicity, the social media uh, strategy, I mean, uh, all this stuff, I'm looking at it now and I'm asking myself the question, has anyone benefited yet? And if the answer is, well, I'm not sure, it doesn't look like it, then what you've got is engagement, which is great. That's your pathway. That's the first step, but it is only engagement. And as soon as you have any evidence that that engagement has benefited someone, whether that is that they understand something, they're aware of something, you've transformed their thinking, um, or this is something more instrumental, you've saved someone's life, if they have benefited, that is the point at which your engagement has turned from engagement into impact. So uh, impact is simply benefit. And for me, the reason why turning this into the question, who benefits, is so important, is that this begins to make us aware that, of course, these are people who are benefiting ultimately, whether indirectly or directly, and Ultimately, there may be winners and losers, and uh, there may be one person who benefits at the expense of another, one group that benefit at the expense of another. And this leads me to my, my next definition. So benefit is my one word, uh, really crystal clear, simple definition. But to extend on this, the other definition that, that I've put into the second edition of my handbook is the good that researchers do in the world. And for me, this definition has a number of important components. And um, it might sound simple, and uh, I have been accused by some of my co-authors uh, of, of various papers in which I've, uh, I've been writing this of uh, not just being clear and simple, but potentially being simplistic. Um, and I think that the word that my, my colleagues are objecting to is this word good. And I think they're objecting for good reasons, because actually that word good is deeply problematic. And that is actually why I've used it in my definition, because this is the good that researchers do in the world. And that means that this is very clearly now a value judgment. What is good to me in my perception or to one group in one place in one culture at one time may be bad in the perception of another group in another place, a culture, and time. So 
there is this idea of winners and losers. There's, there is the idea that actually this is potentially in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and it really now matters who is looking, who is evaluating this as to whether or not this is likely to be perceived as good and whether others will agree with me that this is a good thing that I did in my research. The, the next part of this definition is that it is, is the good that researchers do in the world. Uh, and there is, of course, agency here. This is not something that just happens. Uh, you don't just do research. It doesn't just grow legs and go out and make a difference. Um, we as researchers have to take the data and information that we produce in our papers, our books, our performances, whatever the, out the output is, and turn that data and information into knowledge in someone's head before a person can either use that knowledge or benefit from it in some way. Uh, and so it is us, it is the researchers who are generating that data and information who need to not only make our work accessible, but make it understandable as well. Uh, and so for me, this is essentially a learning process. And that is what we're good at. We know about learning and teaching. We know about how students learn. Uh, and we need to start thinking about how we apply what we know about how people learn to how we enable others to both access and understand our research so they can use and benefit from it. Uh, so we are at the center of this definition. Uh, it's not going to happen without us. Uh, but then finally, there is a venue for this impact. This is, of course, the good that researchers do in the world. And I think it's important for us to recognize that this is not about what we can do for our own careers, for our own esteem, um, uh, or even for our PhD students and our postdocs and the wider academic community, uh, or, or even for our students. This is about what we can do beyond the academy to make the world a better place, whether this is a spin-out company, uh, whether this is saving someone's life, whether this is a cultural impact uh, or an understanding or an awareness impact. This is something that is beyond the academy. Now, in, in the UK, we have this thing called the Research Excellence Framework, or, or REF, um, and it does muddy the waters somewhat by including pedagogical impacts as one of the things that count. Uh, but I would argue, e even if we look at pedagogical impacts through the eyes of this definition, uh, what we're trying to do, especially in more applied disciplines, is to think about how we can design our learning and teaching effectively as interventions that are designed to enable our students to take what they've learned in the classroom out into their workplace so they can use what they've learned to affect change for their organizations or the people that their organizations serve. Uh, and so you can actually think about designing your teaching uh, in very specific ways. Uh, you can think about how you might uh, incentivize your students to stay in touch with you so you can get in touch with them a year or two years down the line to find out, uh, did what you learned actually translate into benefits for anyone in the workplace if you went into the relevant line of work that we were hoping you would go into. Um, and all of a sudden, you've got a very clear argument that, yes, this isn't just about transforming how we do learning and teaching in this discipline, uh, which can, in theory, count um, in our REF. But 
we did that and as a result people are equipped now to go into the workplace to do things in a new way um this takes me now to the the typology um and uh, pedagogic pedagogical impacts are uh, an additional type which isn't one of uh, of my 10 um, uh, and I'm going to just go through these in turn and um, think with you about how strategic these might be in terms of things you might want to prioritise in different contexts. So, for example, pre-award things that might get you funding uh, so that you can actually get the money to do the research that will make that difference. Uh, and also then post-award, uh, what are the things that funders in particular seem to like um, or research assess assessors uh, seem to like. So I've got my book uh, in front of me. I'm just turning to the relevant page. You'd think I'd have memorised this now, but uh, not quite. Uh, it's, it's still fairly fresh. And um, I'm going to start with a, a series of types of impact that can be stepping stones. Um, uh, and so there are impacts that can lead to other impacts, and you can get a chain of impacts where one thing leads to another, leads to another, and at all of the points in that chain of three things, you have impact. Uh, and I think that it's important to think about this in this way because uh, a lot of us, I think, focus so much on the end game that we forget that actually many of the steps along the way are not just engagement. These are also uh, impacts that we may want to evaluate. Um, uh, and if they've worked, uh, we may want to report on as well. So, for example, uh, I may start by doing some public engagement or maybe I'm going to have a, a social media strategy um, and I'm going to try and make people aware of something. I'm going to change understanding. Uh, and as a result of all of this engagement, what I'm looking for now is evidence that not only did people tune into that radio program, uh, not only uh, are people watching that YouTube video, but actually, as a result of that engagement, did anyone learn anything? Uh, is there now a growing awareness in a particular group of people about something linked to my research? And if so, at that point, that engagement has already turned into impact. I'm going to want to then look at, well, is this significant? And for what reasons might this be important that people now understand this, where they were previously unaware. Uh, and what is the reach of that? Uh, is this just me and my family and uh, a few people in my hometown? Or actually now through these much broader engagement mechanisms, have I actually made a whole community of practice, a whole nation aware of something that they were not previously aware of? Now you can see how this then might, uh, and this is a might, transform someone's attitudes. Uh, now, we know that there is not a link uh, perfectly between these two. Uh, you can learn something, you can understand something new, and you can still uh, keep some fairly horrific attitudes if you want to. Um, but uh, it is credible that through that engagement, uh, once people have become aware of something, that uh, they may actually change their attitudes. And you may actually design things in a way which is designed to confront people with their attitudes and get people to think more deeply about them and potentially uh, shift an attitude that may be in some way detrimental, to, for example, to another group. 
And I would argue that even if it stops there, this is an impact. And it's an impact in and of itself. So, for example, uh, if I have now changed attitudes towards racism in football, for example, uh, the fact that I have changed attitudes at some kind of scale um, across an entire football league, whether or not that has actually translated into some kind of action on the ground um, and there are now different players on the pitch or whatever it is, the fact that I've changed attitudes counts. That matters. Uh, and you can articulate an, art articulate an argument uh, that uh, shows that this is a significant change. Um, uh, it's different and it's important. And you can look at the reach of, of this, how many new people now think differently um, uh, as a result of uh, your intervention. Um, uh, and uh, uh, an even bigger might <laughs> is that that attitudinal change might eventually then transform into changes in behaviour, different decisions. Um, and as a result, then you get a whole series of other more instrumental benefits. Now, traditionally, we might see that process of raising awareness, changing attitudes as the, the kind of the, the preparing grounds for that ultimate instrumental change, and then only talk to our funders or to others who might be evaluating our impact about that final end of pipe solution that, yeah, it worked, and now as a result, people are safer or whatever it is. Uh, and I think it's important to try and recognise that here are some impacts that I can actually look at. I can evaluate their significance and their reach. Uh, I can collect evidence. And now I can uh, force my funders and other evaluators to look at these uh, and ask themselves, is or is this not uh, an impact that I would care about? Uh, and you're more likely to get that credit if you actually articulate that and evidence that process. Now, there's one other type of impact that I want to talk about as a stepping stone type impact before I look at some of these more instrumental types of, of impact. Uh, and that is capacity building impact or preparedness impact. Uh, and uh, as a type of impact, uh, this is of huge importance. Uh, so we can go uh, and creates the capacity to do something new. There are new skills, there is new equipment, there is a new methodology. Uh, people are connected to one another who were not previously connected to one another. And as a result of that capacity, people then can ultimately do new things that they were not able to do before. They can adapt uh, to change. They are more likely to be resilient when something bad happens to them. Uh, and of course, that really counts. But uh, again, you need to think about uh, evidencing the fact that you are building capacity uh, and think about how can I actually build the capacity that is needed? What are uh, the, the needs of this organization, this group, and how can I meet them? Uh, but then you can ask the question, well, what happened as a result? I built the capacity and how did people use it? Uh, and uh, at this point, I want to just flag the strategic issue here, which is that um, I think we often overlook these kinds of impacts because we're so focused on the ultimate win. Uh, did we save lives? Did we make lives better, for example? Um, that we overlook these important stepping stones. 
And for capacity building, I think it's particularly important not to overlook because uh, for many types of research funding, this is something that is very attractive. A lot of research funders want to build capacity. Uh, and of course, yes, they want to then know if that capacity was used and how it might be used in future. Uh, but in particular, if you're working in particular areas, for example, international development, this is something that uh, that you will need to think about how you will on purpose go about building capacity. And that can be very strategic and can help fund the work that you want to do. Um, uh, in the terms of research assessment, um, if you've got an evaluator looking at your impact, uh, I think that capacity building impacts are much less attractive. Um, so I think the question will always be asked, well, great, in theory, sounds good, but what happened next? Did anyone use this? Did this make a difference or not? Uh, and if not, well, great in theory, but I'm not quite as impressed as if there was evidence that something worked. Um, and of course, that's very difficult um, because very often these are things that are highly uncertain or far in the future. Uh, I met a, a researcher a couple of years ago now who was uh, doing stuff on earthquakes uh, and earthquake preparedness. And he'd uh, managed to change planning regulations and the way that buildings were, were, were made um, in an entire city. And he came to me and he said, yeah, so I would like to submit this um, as evidence of, of the fact that my research has impact, but there's just one flaw. I just need there to be an earthquake. Uh, I don't want there to be an earthquake, uh, really, honestly, but actually there's a bit of me that thinks it would be quite handy because then that's the only proof I will ever have that the stuff I've done actually works and actually saves lives. So... Uh, the, the same thing applies to under, understanding and awareness impacts and attitudinal changes. Um, I think that uh, both pre-award when you're applying for funding and post-award when you're trying to talk to your funders, it is worth explicitly mentioning this and saying, look, here is an actual impact and let's now broaden our impact objectives and uh, clearly articulate this as something specifically that I want to achieve. Uh, but typically, this is something that is is not valued as much as those instrumental impacts that ultimately can come as a result of that behavior change or that decision that is then made as a result of that new information, knowledge, uh, change in attitudes or, or whatever. So let's, let's make sure we capture that stuff um, and that can give us some really important early wins and, uh, and some really valuable formative feedback that will suggest whether or not we're on track to achieving those other um, solutions. But finally then, um, the rest of the types of impact, these more instrumental uh, impacts, uh, I'll uh, put uh, a link to the online version uh, of this chapter from my book um, in the show notes. So you can uh, look at the, the detailed definitions of this for yourself. Um, and in each of these, I've given you a definition and I've given you some examples of the kinds of impact that you might see and how you might go about evidencing those kinds of, uh, kinds of impact. But we've got environmental impacts, we've got health and well-being impacts. We've got policy impacts, which, of course, then may have, as a result of the policy being implemented, 
the health and well-being benefits or environmental uh, benefits as well. So uh, policy impacts has an impact um, based on the fact that there is now a new policy which is based on this new evidence from your research um, uh, as another potential stepping stone to other benefits that come once that uh, policy is implemented and works. Um, We've got other forms of decision-making and behaviour impacts. Some of these are direct, some of them are, are, are indirect. Some of this is uh, about group or organisational behaviours. It could be an individual or, or household-type behaviour change. Um, there's a, a broad range of different things now um, that might come out of some kind of attitude-changing or awareness-building-type campaign. Uh, then we've got cultural impacts. Uh, so this would be changes in prevailing values, attitudes, beliefs, discourse, uh, patterns of behaviour. Uh, some of this is explicit, so culture that is codified in rules or law. Some of it is implicit, so rules of thumb, accepted practices. Uh, and this, this could be an organisational culture, it could be at the level of a, a social group or a society. But the point is that as a result of that cultural change, people benefit and you can articulate why the world is better, why that organisation is better, why these people are benefiting as a result of that change. Then there's a range of other social uh, benefits uh, which are not covered by these other types. So for example, access to education or improvements in human rights. Uh, and yeah, that's it, 10, uh, I believe, uh, counting these up now. Yeah, we have 10 different types of impact that you can, in theory, generate from your research. Uh, and to conclude, I want to just give you a, a little key to using this. So, yeah, great in theory, Mark. You've given me 10 different types of impact that I could try and achieve through my research. Um, how does that benefit me? For me, the way that I like to use this is effectively as a checklist. Uh, and I can use this both pre-award and post-award. So as I'm scratching my head and trying to come up with a series of impact goals as part of an impact summary in a, um, in a grant award, uh, I might start by saying, well, I do environmental research, so that's what it's all about. Or uh, we're going to be coming up with some new innovation, which will lead to a spin-out company, and it's all about the, the, the economic benefit. Um, and you can get quite narrow in your thinking and, uh, and, and actually miss the opportunity to write something far more persuasive and competitive uh, if you don't look beyond your current focus. Uh, and so for me, this is a checklist that I go through to say, right, well, my primary motivation here is I want to save this habitat or species. But actually, are there some social benefits that might go alongside this? Are there policy changes that will be necessary to make this happen? And can I articulate that as an initial impact goal? Uh, and now I've got something much richer, much fuller, much more competitive pre-award. Uh, the other way of looking at this is then post-award and saying, right, I've done something, I've, I've, I've got some impact, um, uh, and 
someone is now asking me to report on this. Maybe it's my funder. Uh, maybe this is a research assessment exercise uh, like uh, the, the REF in the UK or the Engagement and Impact Framework in Australia or this proliferation of things that are going on around the world. Um, uh, and, uh, of course, I can report on the key thing that I care most deeply about. We saved the habitat. We saved that species. Amazing. Uh, we made millions of pounds or whatever it was that you were trying to achieve. But again... Going through this typology as a checklist and asking yourself, what about those other things? Are there some additional benefits here that we have achieved? Uh, and actually now you discover very often that there is a richer, deeper uh, and more resonant story that you can tell. So my spin out company that made someone millions of pounds. Uh, actually was so successful perhaps because the manufacturing process was so much more efficient and we reduced the cost of this product to consumers uh, and as a result dominated the market. But actually the reason it was so efficient was because we made the manufacturing process more uh, less carbon intensive and we saved greenhouse gas emissions and there's a climate benefit and hey, uh, the people who use this, actually this is a new product and this is enhancing people's lives. It's enabling them to do things they weren't able to do before. Um, and I'm going to interview some of these people and find the richness of how they have benefited in ways that I wasn't expecting. Uh, and that brings me to my, to my final point, which is that I believe that if we have a clear-sighted understanding of what impact is, this idea that it is a benefit, this is the good that researchers do in the world, and we have now a holistic conception of all the different types of impact that might theoretically be possible from our work, we're able to look in a much more clear-sighted way uh, at whether there might be some disadvantages for certain groups or negative unintended consequences. And actually, is this uh, an economic benefit at the expense of the environment, for example? Uh, am I benefiting this group at the expense of another group? Uh, and now, uh, when we move from these really competitive impact goals now into a structured impact planning process, we can start to think about whether we can work with those other groups to try and ameliorate some of the worst negative impacts of what we're doing, or potentially abandon the whole idea because we've discovered, when we think much clearer uh, and more holistically about this, that actually this is a really mixed blessing and maybe not something that I'm willing to put my neck on the line for because I can now see the many different ways this might go. So what is impact? Uh, I hope I've enabled you to understand this now to uh, a level that is much clearer than you've ever understood it before. Uh, and it is on that foundation that I'm going to be building uh, a number of uh, episodes over the rest of this season to explore much more deeply um, the rights, the wrongs, the morals, the ethics, uh, the politics, but also the practicalities uh, and the tips, the guidance, the strategies, the things that will make you confident, that will enable you to achieve impact without having to work any more weekends or evenings than you already do.